It's show 169 of the RIM Pro Report today, a web marketing in RIM service world and some news updates. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. Did you know that O'Neill generates over 15 million barcode labels every year? Why? Because generating barcode labels for the average RIM company can only be described as a nuisance at best. Maintaining printers, labor costs, ordering and inventorying labels, dealing with software and keeping track of serial number sequences is a time-consuming and costly distraction. So guess what? O'Neill does it for you. And if you're interested in that, you can learn more about it at O'NeillSoft.com. Get your parka on, RIM Nation. It's cold outside. Welcome to the RIM Pro Report, the one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry, hustling with news, views, and the latest updates. This show is full of interesting information. So take notes. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me, and I'm glad you're here. Another big storm rolled across the Northeast USA this week. Rumor has it it's been so cold in the Northeast that people had to quit eating with metal cutlery as they were getting their tongues stuck on them uh, walking around with uh, forks and knives uh, stuck to your tongue kind of awkward hitchhikers were actually holding up pictures of thumbs instead of real thumbs do people hitchhike anymore opticians apparently are giving away free ice scrapers with every purchase of new eyeglasses well if that's the case in your world i hope you're staying warm if you are in that extreme cold now our friends in australia this week have had the opposite yikes a scorcher at 40 degrees celsius or at 104 degrees fahrenheit stay cool out there my aussie friends and to the rest of us living somewhere in the middle of those two extremes i hope you're into the groove of 2014 i think this is going to be a big year in the rim world and uh, for the first couple of weeks in january i've been reviewing the last year a couple of weeks ago i talked about my perspective on on the rim industry uh, last week, we actually caught up with Bob Johnson of Nade and his perspectives on what was happening in the, sh- the shredding and information destruction world. Today, I'm going to take advantage of my own team to talk about what they are doing and seeing in the internet marketing realm, specifically as it relates to RIM-related services. We had our 2014 strategic planning meetings here for the last few days, so I decided to bring them into the studio today to talk about all things rim services web marketing and uh this is going to be uh, kind of an awkward thing for them i'm going to put them on the spot they have no advanced questions this is going to be a complete impromptu conversation with them normally all my shows are done via the phone so the studio here is not really designed for these types of group interviews so we're just going to make the best of it and i i hope and the goal of this today is i, I felt like we, we don't really do this very often uh, is is bring my team on the the show and talk about what we're doing. But um, my my team, which works in the web vitality division of our company, is um, a, one of the the most brilliant group of people people that you can meet who understand and know web marketing. And we do so much of it in the rim world that um, I think this will be helpful to you. But uh, they're all sitting in here ready to chat. But before we jump into it, here are some updates about what's happening in the rim world. Not a lot going on this week. Uh, I expect to hear some more news about acquisitions, but the two two items that came up this week, both from uh, the larger companies in the industry, Recall announced that it was awarded the ISO 27001 
2005 management system certification at a global level. Recall suggests that it's the first information management company to achieve this certification for all its global operations centers. ISO 27001-2005 is a process-based certification recognizing organizations that can link business objectives with operating effectiveness. So congratulations to Recall on this worldwide announcement. And the second one is, is actually a, a harder one to talk about. Iron Mountain Canada was fined by the Ontario Ministry of Labor for an industrial accident at their Brampton facility where a worker actually lost their arm trying to fix a conveyor. Uh, a big fine was handed out. Iron Mountain Canada actually pleaded guilty. And the lesson here is not one of accusation, Rimnation. It's that it is imperative that you learn from this accident in your own operations. Be careful out there. Be careful. Make sure your staff are, are fully aware of the safety implications of what they're doing. And I know we think about that, and I, I, I know sometimes it crosses our mind, but these kind of uh, news items remind us in our world to be extremely cautious. We, we got a lot of stuff at stake. Uh, we got a lot of you know, big in the shredding world. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, and I think the lesson for us today is be careful. Make sure your staff is careful and, and make sure you have the kinds of things in place that prevent these kind of uh, accidents. And so uh, that's important news for us to hear, not necessarily great news for us to hear. And uh, that's actually all the news I have for now. I'm going to get the microphone turned on uh, with my Web Vitality team. So hang tight while I get that done. Today, I've pulled my Web Vitality team into the studio to talk about web marketing in the RIM industry. We're going to chat about all different aspects of web marketing from design and structure to the ubiquitous SEO, the pins in the maps and the search engines, uh, pay-per-click marketing, content, and a whole lot more. Uh, there's five of us in this tiny studio. We're, we're actually boiling to death right now in the San Diego heat. Uh, and we only are, are using actually my microphone and one other microphone. And Court, my producer, he's, he's having a freak out attack just trying to figure out how this is all going to work and sound okay. Uh, so all that to say, we're flying without a net today. There's no net. We're just doing this. You know, it's we do that kind of stuff around here. Uh, so uh, my team really doesn't have prepared notes. I, I'm forcing them to do this uh, on the fly. So uh, let's start with introductions. Um, Nick Adams is our web development project manager. And despite having my last name, he's not in any way related to me. So I want to welcome Nick Adams. All. Hey, Nick, uh, welcome to uh, the Rim Pro Report. I'm glad to have you on. I mean, you've you've been Thank a, you. you've been around uh, the studio a lot when this is happening, but th this is the first time on the show. So uh, I'm glad you're here. Let's talk about you. You build websites uh, for people in the Rim industry, correct? And um, web marketing, I. I believe starts with a website at the heart of it all. That's that's where a web marketing begins. This website has to do its job. Uh, where are companies in the rim industry making mistakes with their website and the way they construct or develop them? Um, I think one of the biggest things is they don't realize how short the attention span is of the people that are coming to their sites. Um, I always talk about the rule of seven, which is get a seven-year-old, have them go on your site, and see if they can find a way to contact you. Uh, if they can't, then you're doing something wrong. So a, a really immediate question is, can they contact you? Correct. Yeah, because because that that's another thing that I think is so critical, because a, a website's job is ultimately to do what? Convert a lead. Right. 
to get someone to contact you about your business or your services that you're offering. But I, but I, th- I think in the RIM world, um, what happens is we, we kind of come with these presumptions that people really want to come to our sites. Right. And uh, is that really what's going on? Well, I think especially in the RIM world, it's a service that is needed, not necessarily wanted. So when someone is looking and they have a sea of other choices, you need to be able to show them within, I, I think, under 10 seconds that you can service them with the way that they need and then give them an opportunity to contact you. Right. So we, we, we have to re- realize that when people come to a website in in our particular world, in this rim world, they're really not wanting to come necessarily. There's probably an obligation to come. Right. Uh, they're probably jumping around looking at a lot of sites. We call it bouncer. I mean, they're, they're bouncing in and out of sites and they're bobbing in trying to find stuff. Right. I'll give you a perfect example. Yeah. So the easiest drop dead thing to do would be to put your phone number large at the top of every page. And it's it's astounding to me how many sites don't even do that little. Yeah. yeah. And yet that's what we want people to do when they get to the site. They're, they're not predisposed to just visit our sites. They come when they have a need. And yet so many sites we look at in this world don't have phone numbers easily accessible. They're like hidden at the bottom of the page. So a lot of times they're not even there, right? Right. Yeah. Um, what else really contributes to that that goal of getting leads from your website? If if they come and they've got 10 seconds to do that, what else? I mean, there's a phone number there. What else have you found to be highly effective in terms of ensuring that visitors to a website become leads? Well, in addition to having content that's obviously relevant, I mean, a form. So I don't see any reason not to have a form on every page. And I actually feel that we've we've tested where we've had, uh, you know, a form that maybe you could click a tab and then it would pull out from the side. I'm starting to believe that that's even too, too much. You need to have the form fields right there on the page that they can see in plain black and white fill out. And I think the form itself should be short. Um, we don't want people to have to make selections, what service they're looking for. Just contact us. We'll get back to you and then we'll figure out what you need and we'll sell you on it. Right. Right. So, uh, strategy is an important, uh, you know, if people are actually going through the process of developing a website, it, it seems to me that if lead generation is critical, then strategy to make sure that works is critical. Uh, talk a little bit about what you see in this world in terms of, of strategy around building websites. What are, what are some important factors when you're, when you're thinking through the kind of site to build or the design of a site? Well, I think, um, you need to build it for the, the needs of today, but also with the intention of your site not staying static, it growing with time and growing with your business. So um, at the strategic phase, we start looking at maybe menu systems. So what do we need our menus to do today with the given site plan that we're going with? And then where do we want it to potentially be in the future? And making sure that that stuff is part of the original plan because if it's not going back after the fact after we've coded a website is extremely costly and most times you end up tearing it down and starting again yeah so it's really important to understand what your future could look like and i I mean what what today is an average life cycle of a website is it a couple of years is it three years what's what's reasonable in terms of website longevity i mean i think if you if you take care of your website um 
keep things up to date and I mean, I, be- I believe you can have the same website for a number of years until eventually, you know, at, at some point, the technology just gets to a point where you need to do a complete redesign. But um, there's no reason why you should be building a new website every year. Right. Okay. So you, you just spoke there something about uh, technology. And I think one of the things uh, we see and everybody's aware of in the world is mobile. Uh, mobile applications are big, but in terms of websites, uh, in terms of the RIM world, r- records and information management, shredding those kind of websites, how important is mobile? Well, I think um, if not already, in the very distant future, it's going to be mandatory that you have some way for a user to access your website via a mobile device. Right. Um, there. Mobile internet usage is getting close to and and is going to surpass desktop usage. And so the more that you get, more that users get accustomed to having a website that automatically formats to their phone, um, whether it be a mobile site or what we call responsive, where your site will actually reconfigure to fit that device, um, they're going to leave your site right away and go to the one that will. Right. Right. So uh, if somebody happens to have an old website, let's say it's a few years old, but they haven't really built mobile capabilities into it. Is there a way to have kind of an interim fix to that? Yeah. um, I mean, you can actually have a separate site that would be just for mobile. Okay. And then what what would happen is your whatever device the user is coming from, they'll recognize, well, okay, it's coming from a mobile device. Let's serve up this website. Got it. Okay. Um, And in some instances, I think that almost is a a benefit. So like if you were just trying to get someone to be able to contact you or figure out where your location is, then maybe a mobile site where you have a little less content than your main site would work. Okay. So, so mobile can be a really important thing going forward based on what you're seeing. Um, so the analytics that, that we seem to see, or you guys seem to see in, in the, uh, reporting that, that we look into mobile, mobile is definitely growing. Is it not? It's going to happen. Right. You're going to have to, I believe it's already a standard, but if you want to hold off soon enough, you, you won't have a choice. So you, you I, I know you do testing as it relates to the way mobile, uh, I mean, websites load and, and there's tools out there. And I think Google, I think you were telling me Google actually has a mechanism whereby when they're testing your site to see how fast it loads, mobile is the first one they, they load, is it not? Yeah, the, yeah they actually, um, they used to show you how fast your desktop was and now they've actually so now they actually serve up the mobile speed first which tells me that that's more important to them right so google's actually making decisions about your website based on mobile being present or mobile capability correct right yeah and how it loads on a mobile device yeah yeah so uh when when it comes to actual development and the features of your website which to me is a a a really important piece um if you had to take away everything else, what would you say is the most important thing in development of a website? I think, I mean, architecting the content. So so we all know that the content is the most important part. Well, I don't know if we all know that, but I believe that the content is the most important part because that's what serves getting that lead. Um, so really, when, when, I, when I start talking to someone about design elements and construction elements, um, I try to get them to forget about the look and feel so much because 
pretty pictures and, and background graphics and stuff are nice to have, but they do things that are detrimental to your website. They'll slow it down. Um, and really, they don't serve the end purpose, which is a lead. Right. I, I've heard you say around the office a number of times that uh, websites aren't an art project. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I think that, um, and I'm guilty of it too with my own personal websites, is it is my baby. And um, a lot of us in the rim industry, that's your baby, that's your business. And so you want it to be represented the way that you see it. Um, but really, your website is a tool that is supposed to serve your business. Mm. So um, I try to get them to forget so much about it having, you know, their logo colors all over and, and you know, representing all these little things that it really don't matter. Um, at the end of the day, it's can does that website load lightning fast? Can it show up on a mobile? Can a user fill out a form in five seconds? Um, you know, can you get a lead from it? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good stuff. Well, I, you and I could probably talk for, for hours about this, but we've only got so much time in the show. So uh, thanks, Nick, for sharing some of your expertise as it relates to building a website. Uh, speaking of content, I'm going to go to David Young. Uh, David Young is our content uh, marketing, and he's actually our social media manager as well. He writes a ton of blogs and web content and web pages for uh, for our clients, does a lot of work in writing. And uh, David, I want to welcome you to the show. We've actually had you on the show before. Years, A couple of years ago, we had you on the show. That's right, Tom. This is my second time back, and uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, and now, now you're a part of our team instead of part of uh, another team. So That's right. it's, That's it's right. really cool to have you on the show and as, as a part of the um, the web vitality team here at Flourish Press. Um, let, let's talk about content. People say content is king in web marketing these days. Uh, how do you think about content specific to this industry? How do you, how do you go about, you know, when there's content that needs to be written, blog posts, web pages that need to be written, how are you thinking about it from the perspective of writing the copy? The way I like to think about it, Tom, is um, I really try to write from the perspective of somebody looking for a uh, or not necessarily from the perspective of somebody looking for a certain service but for for to provide content that's going to be valuable uh, to someone who's looking for shredding service or uh, record storage service right. or data protection service so it's it's really about providing valuable content um, that has kind of an educational slant to it. Um, right. So, so that's what I, I really try to focus on. So when you're writing, you're not necessarily writing for a search engine? No. Okay, good. No. Well, it's, it's secondary, really. I mean, um, good content drives SEO. So does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, I think, you know, so many people you hear in the web marketing world talk about, you know, writing content. You got to write content. You got to write content because the search engines need content. Well, the, real the reality is search engines don't provide a lead. They provide traffic. And if people get to your page and the content's written in such a bizarre and strange way, that, right. that can't obviously get you a lead because people don't know what you do. Um, so when you're thinking about it, you're thinking, okay, there's a, a reader's going to show up on this page. Uh, somebody who's searching for this service, uh, and you've written content to support what they're looking for. Am I? Am I? That's right. That's right. 
And I, I think the difference now, um, in the early days uh, of the internet, I think that um, content was was focused on on keyword loading. Yeah. Um, but that is can actually be detrimental. Yeah. To you now, so it's really um, what the search engines look for is is really valuable content. And based on what I understand, valuable content to a search engine is not just because they can't read the page other than they can they can work through the words, but valuable content to them is based on, well, how does how long does somebody stay on that page and read it? Do, do they actually Correct. do something as a result, right? Correct, yep. So yep. the goal of copy in your case is make it readable to a search engine, but ultimately it's for people, but get somebody to do something? Well, ultimately, you want to uh, convert that reader to to a lead. Yeah. So um, after after somebody reads an article, um, you want them to you want to be able to collect information from them. So hopefully, they'll find the content that you're providing valuable enough to want your service. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this industry is inherently boring. I mean, we all know that in our own kind of way. We, we, you know, we, we think about it. A lot of people don't necessarily want to buy records management services. They have to, uh, how do you make, um, somewhat boring business to business service offerings somehow appealing or exciting or readable? How do you do that? I think you have to, to, to really, uh, focus on telling a story. And I think that's something traditionally that the RIM services industry has, has lacked in. Um, so if you can connect to people through a story, I think that you can, I really believe that you can convert them to a customer. Hmm. Okay. So tell the story in a story that likely connects to their problem, the predicament they're facing, some of the issues. I mean, this, the, the cool thing about the world we live in, this rim industry is we've got compliance, we've got, we've got privacy, we've got all those factors that are playing. Does, is that factor into the kind of stuff you write on a regular basis? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, compliance is huge. Um, it's about, uh, uh, of course, saving money. Um, it's about uh, information security. Um, all those things play a huge part in, in the type of content that you provide. Right. Uh, how do you think, is there a difference between the way you say write a blog or write a sales page on a, on a website? I mean, a lot of us think and have learned that blogging is a really important thing, but, but how do you distinguish the difference between a blog post and, say, a sales copy? Well, I a blog post is really an opportunity to position your company as an expert. Mm. Um, I really look at a blog as um, a way to provide educational content. Um, so let's say, um, trying to think of an example here for data protection. Let's say you would want to... Um, the content around that for a blog would be related to uh, best practices for uh, data storage or, or tape rotation. Right. Whereas a sales page around that would be more talking about the services that you provide related right. to to those services. But it's important in writing content that if you're educating, especially on a website, to support what we ultimately need is if people are coming to get educated, does it then make sense to, within that educational blog, link them back to the service page? Is that 
kind of how we... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything links back to the services that you provide. Okay. So the blog's job is to build a, a place for people to learn and education matters because education drives better understanding. And, and that's really how you're thinking it through. Right, right. And, and I think another important piece is, is if you're constantly providing content that your pers- prospective clients are finding valuable, they're going to come back to your website. They're going to come back to your company as a resource for, for new and in, in current information. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the cool opportunities that people have, too, is if they're providing good educational content, um, in the RIM world, a lot of us are doing multiple services. So you might have a client who's, you might have a client who's actually um, doing shredding services, but they're also providing scanning. Does it make sense to bring your clients back through your newsletter or your, your email to bring them back into that particular thing? Like, like cross-sell through your blog. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's wide open what you can do through a blog, really, um, and it's it's a great opportunity to to educate clients um, to about other services that you may not be currently providing them with. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, one one final question around content because content is such a big part of web development and web marketing these days. Um, if if a rim service provider a, a you know a small rim service companies is thinking about really enhancing their web presence what kind of strategy should they have around content uh, around development of copy blogging what what would be a sort of minimal minimal approach you would suggest taking i would say uh it's minimally minimally important to to have a blog um i think that it's um, I think it's equally important to uh, to make sure that uh, the content on your service pages is is current. A lot of people, like Nick was saying, when they start a website, they they or when they make a website, uh, they'll they'll make it and then they'll leave it. So right. it's just static content. So it's important to to update your service pages as your company grows and right. as you expand your services to your clients. Yeah. And, and so. I think ultimately take that expansion and, and uh, it, from my perspective, it's always, can we cast a wider net? So you've got a, you've got a page about say data protection or data rotation services um, or records management services. Uh, you then should potentially build one about uh, medical records storage and potentially one right, about legal records record storage right, right because they they all have subtle different variations to them sure. and the bigger you make that net the more content you require so content is is a growing thing uh, but but probably just to answer that final question um, is it worth somebody adding a new a new blog post once a month absolutely without a doubt why well um it's an again it's an opportunity for you to educate your clients and the more you can do that the more value you're go- going to provide to them so um, I'd say at least monthly I think the more regular you can update um, your content uh, the better off you're going to be in terms of SEO and attracting new clients good hey well thank you I, again we you and I could probably go on for ages but uh, thanks for sharing that Dave that's really helpful you're welcome thank you 
uh, Sawyer Adams is our pay-per-click and search engine optimization manager. Sawyer is related. Uh, Sawyer is my son, and he's part of our team here. Sawyer, welcome to the show. You've never been on the RimPro Report before. I have never. Hey, well, thanks for joining us today. So you're an expert at technical SEO, and Nick talked about building good sites. David's talked about content being really important. Where does technical SEO fit in the whole equation? Um, there's lots of little tweaks and stuff you can do in the background of the code that just makes it easier for search engines to understand. What, what it is you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So like, for example, g give me some examples of some technical optimization things that you might try to do to a site on a regular basis. Uh, well, usually the basis stuff we start on is adding title tags, an H1 tag, meta descriptions. So really, really behind the scenes stuff. But but if David says that that SEO is about content and it's good content, technical SEO's job is what? What's it trying to accomplish? Uh, it's trying to show the search engines in the simplest possible terms what this page is about. Okay, so it's really easing the job of the search engine. It's giving the search engine some clues about what's going on. Um, so is Nick talked about building fast websites. How important are fast websites as it relates to SEO? Uh, well, page speed is definitely something considered by uh, Google and other search engines for how well it ranks. If your site's going to take forever to load, then no one's going to want to click on it. Or if they do click on it, doesn't load they're going to leave quick and that apparently um, makes google go this isn't a good site even if you got the best of content on there if your if your site is slow loading that's an issue yeah definitely okay um i we could go on a lot on uh technical seo but really ultimately it seems to me that technical seo is about making sure the site really gives clues to the search engine that that you've got your act together right so where are um, where are some of the mistakes people are making with SEO? Like where where do you see issues showing up? Um, I find trying to do too much with a single page. Hmm. So just loading it full of different keywords. We found it's just trying to get one page to do one specific thing, one specific service, and one specific location. Yeah, that that's really and I see that a lot too. As I look through people's sites, uh, I I see people trying to do all their services on one page, which just doesn't, like search engines can't figure that out, correct? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. Um, pay-per-click is a, and pay-per-click, a lot of times when I say that, people think I'm saying pay-per-click because we're in the, the, the records management industry. Paper, we're talking P-A-Y-P-E-R, click. Pay-per-click. Um, and pay-per-click is really the way you buy clicks to your website. So, uh, tell me a little bit about what seems to be happening um, with with the the whole rim industry, the records and shred industry. What's happening in pay per click these days that you're seeing? You you manage a lot of a lot of accounts. Uh, what's happening to click costs? Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing. Um, a lot of records storage and management uh, searches are going down, and there's just a ton more shredding clicks going on. So growth is happening in shredding more specifically than records. Yeah. What about scanning and imaging? What's happening there? Um, it's similar to the record storage. Shredding is where all the big numbers that we're seeing are. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the data protection, but there's so many varying terms in that area. And then some of them relate to just online backup services that like Dropbox and stuff like that. Right. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot, a lot of, of fuzz in that area. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that's important to maybe say as we talk about this is is what kind of prices are you seeing for clicks these days? Like what's, generally speaking, where, where are you seeing price ranges for record storage terms, shredding terms? Give, give us a sense or an overview of what you're seeing in those. Um, well, I took a few examples uh, today from the Google Keyword Tool. Um, I'm seeing around 10 to $15 for record storage. Okay, just before you go on. So 10 to $15 means I somebody clicks on a search engine and gets to your site and it costs them 15 bucks just to get them to your site. Yeah, and that's one of the lower ones. <laughs> okay, so it seems to me, and, and I know we're not passing the mic back to anybody else in the room, but it seems to me that if you haven't got good content and you haven't built a good site, if you're paying 15 bucks to get somebody to your website, you better be sure your website is convertible. You've got a phone number there. They've got a form, those things. It, that, that's got to be true, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, 10 to 15 bucks for... I mean, there are ways to lower that by improving a lot of different features in, in Google AdWords. Okay, so you, you can do some things, but, but let's go back to... So 10 to 15 bucks in the record storage type of keywords. What other kind of numbers are we seeing? Um, it's between 15 and 20 for scanning. Wow. Shredding is, can be five to 15 and data protection stuff that can be upwards to 40 almost. Upwards to 40 bucks per click to get one person to your website. Yep. So it, it seems evident to me that, uh, you don't want to pay those huge numbers unless you got it going on on the other side of your site. Yeah. Right. So you, you also said that there's ways to lower it. What are some, some ideas of ways to lower the cost of those clicks? Um, there's improving the quality score of the keyword. So what's a quality score, just so I get that? Um, it's similar to how they rank organically. The, uh, the algorithm is they look for relevance between the keyword, the ad you've written, and then the, the content on the landing page. Yeah, so it, it really comes back to, I think, what Nick was talking about. Architecture makes a lot of difference. So what's on the page, the kind of content that's sitting on that page, if you're going to buy expensive clicks to your site, you better be sure it works. I mean, and if it's not working, you're 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 doing yourself a lot of disservice. I, I, I think based on what I see in this industry, um, as there's more competition, as bigger players keep driving the marketplace, these click costs keep going up. And uh, it's really important that you be able to sustain a, a search. If a search comes, if you're going to buy people to your site, you better make sure it works for you. Um, what, um, when you take on a new AdWords account uh, from a RIM service provider, a shredding company, what are some of the flaws you see in the way they've thought about it? What, what are some of the mistakes people are making? Um, the first thing I always check is make sure they're tracking conversions. Right. So a conversion is someone who... It's just if they've submitted a form, we want to know if you've paid for that form submission or not. Okay. So is the conversion actually happening? Most people aren't tracking that? Yeah. And that's just how can you see what you're actually doing? You can see you're getting people to your site, but if you can't see if they're filling out forms, you're just wasting your money then. Yeah. I, I, there's, a, there's a line that I've heard. It's, um, it, it's about advertising, but is somebody said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The problem is I don't know which half. And it seems to me that if you don't have the ability to track a conversion, which is somebody buys a $20 click, gets to your website, we, you're making sure that if they fill in a form that you can tell on the tail end. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. What, what other things are people making mistakes on? 
Um, I like to really specify um, what triggers the ads. So I use very specific matching options as well as a lot of negative keywords. So get, get, help me explain negative keywords. What's a negative keyword? Um, negative keywords is like something where it's like um, matching it, but opposite. Matching, okay. So let, let's, for example, uh, record storage. What, what would be a negative keyword for record storage? Uh, like physical disc records. Oh, like an LP, like an yeah. old LP. So LP is something that we remove out of every single record storage campaign that we run. Okay, so in a record storage campaign, a whole lot of people say record storage and buy clicks, but what they could possibly be doing is buying $15 clicks for people who are looking for LP record storage. Yep, and I've seen that. Uh, we it's seen, and it's probably a lot of money being spent. We call it the Google tax around here. You know, Google charges you this tax to be stupid, right? The Google stupid tax. Um, and Google made their $80 billion last year because people don't understand the importance of those negative keywords. Yeah. Wow, that's really helpful. Um, anything else that you see pay-per-click related or Google AdWords that people are doing that that it'd be helpful to tell them about? Um, adding just the location name, the city name of wherever you're providing the service tends to increase the amount of monthly searches for it and reduce the price. Really? So so just enhancing the way you do the keyword selection in terms of the keywords you buy uh, can really make a difference on the cost of them. Yeah, I did. A, I just searched for a few ones in shredding in San Diego and the amount of people searching for it goes up by about 50 and the price goes down by about two or three dollars. Really? Just just by adding a... Just by adding San Diego to the end of various shredding terms. Like sh shredding services, San Diego would get a better cost of click than shredding services by itself. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Well, sorry. Thank you for uh, sharing that stuff with us. Uh, this is all really deep stuff and we're talking about it in five to seven minutes. So it's, it's hard obviously to get it all in, but, but thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, the final person I want to talk to today is, uh, Janelle Gilbert. Janelle Gilbert is our client service manager in our company. And she is also a, uh, an expert on what we call local maps optimization. Janelle, welcome. Well, thank you, Tom. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. I know you've you've been an integral part of the show for a long time, but it's great to have you actually on the show with us today. So we're, we're talking specifically about web marketing, and uh, one of your specializations is in what we call local maps optimization. Give give us a sense of what local maps really is. What What is local maps? What is, when we talk about that, what are we even referring to? Local maps is sort of a broad term um, to describe uh sort of placing your business on the map for potential clients, letting them know where you are, what you do, how to contact you, period. Okay, and so how does that show up in a search result? So if I'm searching for shredding services in San Diego, and we're using San Diego because that's where we live, but um, so shredding services San Diego, um, the Google search results shows paid search results, it shows organic, and it also shows this map, right? So it explain that. Yes, that's correct. Um, there, uh, there are various different ways that Google presents local results. Um, there are packs of local results that show up in the organic side of the search results. Um, and a lot of times if there's a great result that perfectly matches a, a user's search, 
um, it will show up on the right-hand side with a map, a phone number, and an address. And they don't have to do anything more to contact you. They don't even have to visit your website. They can just call you. Call you from there. And so Google specifically, we spend a lot of time talking about Google because Google's where all the business-to-business action tends to happen most effectively. Um, So what's involved in making sure your pin shows up on the map? How, How do you get it there? Well, there, there are a few things involved, but the most important thing that you can do is let Google know that you exist. Hmm. They might already know that, as a matter of fact. Um, and if they do, you can just claim your business listing by going to Google+, um, and they have a sort of section in Google+, that is both social and local, where you can claim your page. You don't own your page, but you can update Google on the information about your business to make sure that it's correct, and then they can disseminate that to searchers. So... Let's assume that everybody, let's assume that every shredding company, and we're using that as an example, every shredding company in San Diego updates their listing in Google. Uh, Does that necessarily mean they'll be on that map? Uh, Not necessarily. Um, What you need to make sure of is that you are consistent with the way that you list your business, not just on Google, but on other what we call citation sources or local maps directories, because Google pulls their information from multiple sources. But most importantly, they they want you to go claim your listing and make sure that you've got correct information in there. So you want to start there for sure. Okay, so you start there, you build, you, you claim your listing as you suggested in, in Google and in Google Plus specifically, which is their, their machine behind the scenes that does this. Correct. Um, but you talked about citation sources. T- tell me a little bit more what you mean by that. What's, what's involved there? Well, the simplest definition of a citation source is just a place where you can list your business name and it, its contact info, which would really be like your address, your phone number, your website. Um, but Google doesn't just, you know, take your word for it or take anybody's word for it that your business exists and mm. that it exists in a particular location and that your phone number is correct. Uh, they compare the information that you or another user provides about your business to other information that they get from other citation sources across the web. And they decide who to trust based on various factors that are secret to Google. Right. Um, But they use hundreds and thousands of sources. And so part of local maps optimization is making sure that you kind of claim those sources and make sure that your information is correct across the board. Right. So is that a because there's a lot of companies out there that that provide sort of a, um, you know, a twenty nine dollar service and they'll just it's like a feed. But is there a better way to do that than just being part of a feed? Yeah, a feed is sort of like um, it's a robot that provides limited information to citation sources across the Web. The problem with that is that it's not complete. So what you want to do is really have a human go out on your behalf, whether it's you or somebody else who knows what they're doing, um, and fill out the rest of the information that each of those wonderful sources offers you, such as detailed descriptions about your services, photos and videos, Hmm. um, individual web pages that you want to direct people to. None of that is reflected in those feeds. It's just the real basics about your business, name, phone number, address, et cetera. But you definitely want to give as much information as you can. Okay, so it's really important to ensure that as a way to improve your ranking in these maps kind of results, that you are are physically going out manually doing this kind of work. That's correct. And you will be rewarded for that because Google definitely knows the difference between um, just information that's copied across the web to various citation sources and information that's been provided by a human. You can tell. Yeah. 
So uh, it, it seems then if if there's ways to improve it, are there ways that you can kind of cut yourself off or are there ways that you can hurt yourself or harm yourself? You can harm yourself by not making sure that the information that you're putting out there um, is absolutely consistent. Hmm. There's something that we call NAP, which is name, address, and phone number. And actually a website is included. You can tack a W onto the end of that. Um, and if that's not consistent across the board, um, you're going to have some problems because what they do is they match information from all those hundreds and thousands of sources based on your NAP. Hmm. And if it's not correct, if it's not consistent, they're not going to know it's the same business. Right. And so that can be detrimental to you. Is there other, are there factors for this local map? Like we know that in the commercial rim industry, uh, big warehouse space can sometimes be cheaper out of town, but you're bidding on like a major city, but you happen to be in a city 30 miles outside of town. Uh, does that have a detrimental effect? It can be difficult. Um, Google has really strict rules, and actually other citation sources do as well, as to where you're located has a lot to do with where you're able to be found by searchers. Because when a searcher uh, is, is doing a search that Google decides has local intent, mm-hmm. which they use various algorithms to decide, um, they're not going to provide a searcher a warehouse that's 30 miles away from them if they can provide one that's a mile down the road. Right. So there are potentially, based on your actual location, uh, factors that could affect your your placement on the maps. Absolutely. Um, On the other hand, Google does provide, they're really smart about um, city centers and where the actual uh, business is being done in a city. It's not necessarily downtown. So if your business is outside of downtown, say, you know, not necessarily downtown Atlanta, but in the business district, um, they, you know, if you're closer to that business district, that's okay. Because if that's what they're counting as the business center of the city, you're going to be fine. Okay. So, so there, there could be factors beyond your control based on your actual location, but there are ways to enhance your position. And it sounds to me like there's what you do on Google, potentially what you do on the other big search engine, Bing, which drives a lot of results. You know, it, it's a, it's a pretty big factor. It seems to me. Mm-hmm. Bing is a big one too. Um, they're essentially Google and Bing are the biggest two citation sources out there. Right. They make the rules. Um, and Bing has followed what Google's been doing um, pretty closely, actually, because Google has a great formula. Right. So, but it's really important to um, start there if you're going to start anywhere and then move to the smaller sources. Got it. Okay. Well, th- there's a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about here, but uh, you talked about these citation sources. Can you give me an, like an example of two? I, I know that we, we have a pretty significant way you guys think about this uh, listing of services and there's some secret sauce in what we do to that for clients specifically, but just for the sake of helping people understand a citation source, give me a couple of, of really good citation sources. Uh, there are citation sources that we call secondary sources, which aren't those giants like Google and Bing, but uh, smaller ones that are still really crucial, uh, like Manta okay. and Yelp. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, although they are sort of competitors for, for Google in a way, um, Google counts the information from those citation sources right. as being very important. So you'd want to, you know, if you're going to do Google and Bing, go ahead and move on to Manta and Yelp and Insider Pages and some places like that and make sure um, that you've got everything consistent. Got it. Okay, that's really helpful. Final question I want to ask you because we could blow through a couple more hours on this, but uh, final question is, uh, these local sources and even Google itself, uh, reviews have always been an important factor in those. Uh, tell me a little bit about the power of reviews. 
Uh, reviews have actually be become more and more important as time goes along. Um, the thing about Google is, and many of these citation sources are uh, really dependent on reviews because so say a searcher finds you, you're close to them, you provide the services that they are looking for, but they don't know if you're tr you know, trustworthy, they don't know if they should do business with you. Um, and the way that people are increasingly finding out information about services and products to, in today's world is by reviews. Hmm. I mean, if you go to purchase something, you want to know if other people liked it. Right. The same thing goes for services. Right. So um, if you don't solicit reviews, even if they're not all perfect reviews, all other things being equal, if you have reviews and your competitor doesn't have reviews, you're going to rank higher, even if they're not five-star reviews. Right. Okay. So reviews are really important. The, the, the limit, it seems to me, is that if you go out and actively solicit reviews and all of a sudden you get 30 reviews on, say, your Google uh, Plus page or on your Yelp page, that seems kind of manipulative, doesn't it? It's Yeah, you have to be careful about that. What you want to do is, just like everything else, um, go about it in a natural way. Hmm. Um, as you're doing business, um, just ask a client, can you please give me a review? Give them an easy way to do it. Um, for our clients, we provide ways um, to sort of, sort of prompt users and, and clients to do that. But it's just go about it naturally because you don't want to all of a sudden show up with 30 reviews. Right. It seems fake, like you're having your employees do it or something. Right. If you if you look on a place like Amazon, you see that all of a sudden somebody will put a book out and they've got 30 reviews on the first day, this, the, you know, all of a sudden all at once, whereas it looks more obvious natural when there's reviews over a period of time so yeah and and not doing you know doing a sort of a false reviews thing all at once or what seems false will get you sort of blacklisted you yeah. don't want to do that well this has been really helpful and i know i took you out of your work and out of your day to to really help uh, us understand but i i think the stuff that you've given is really helpful so thank you all for being a part of the show today thanks for sharing your your knowledge with us we really appreciate it and uh, have a great day have it uh normally we'd have a shorter show than i just did today but i i felt like as we were talking we were learning so much that i just kept asking questions i hope that you learned something valuable from this discussion today i'm grateful for my team i mean absolutely exceptional people that work on my team and i'm, I'm really grateful because i this was a way for me to test them as well to actually put them on the spot without any preparation they they sat down and i said we're recording the show so uh, I'm, I, I hope you heard in my team uh, what an exceptional group of people they are. And so I'm, I'm grateful for their uh, support in the show today. And as I said, I hope you learned something. Thank you, too, for joining us today. I appreciate the fact that you show up on this show. I, I know I've said over the last couple of weeks we're going to be evolving and adapting the show and we're going to move to less times per month, but hopefully really important uh, conversations I'll have uh, each month, the ones that do. And and I, I really want to um, say a special thanks to our longtime sponsor who have been with us since show 33 here on the RIM Pro Report, O'Neill Software. Uh, O'Neill's been in the records management game an awful long time as a software provider. In fact, it was 30 years ago their software became the first commercially available software for the record storage industry. 
And you know what's so cool about them is that spirit of innovation and leadership continues right up to this day. And uh, as I've said in the last couple of weeks, I so much appreciate the role they've played in helping this show to be become a great show. Uh, start of February, we're going to be removing any sponsorship going forward, but we wanted to really, again, say how much we appreciate the, the role O'Neill has played in this show and making it the success it's been. So if you want to learn more about that really cool company, you can check it out yourself at O'Neillsoft.com. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back next week with our final January show. We are out of here. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Inc. Join us again soon.